The service this morning began uh, with a reflection reading from Psalm 23. The call to worship was Psalm 23 in its entirety. Many of you could quote Psalm 23. And the beginning of Psalm 23 simply saying this, The Lord is my shepherd. So Pastor Paul, why all this talk about shepherds and elders? The Lord is my shepherd. I need no other shepherd. I've got the Lord as my shepherd. Thank you very much. Well, there, that could almost sound compelling, couldn't it? So how does the Lord shepherd us? We know that He is our one good, true shepherd. But how does He shepherd us is the question I want to answer this morning. Does He shepherd us? Does He shepherd you through some quiet inner voice that you have? Is that how God shepherds you? Well, maybe in a way and at times. Does He shepherd you with a big shepherd's crook that comes down from the, from the sky and that nudges you into place and to do what you need to do? Well, no, I've not seen that shepherd's crook. I felt the Lord work in my life, but it's not been in that manner. The truth is, I think we'll see this morning that elders, faithful elders... Or how the Lord has always shepherded His people. Old Testament and New Testament. Shepherding with the Word. Shepherding with prayer. Shepherding with wisdom. With sound instruction. Shepherding through their own testimony and through their own witness. These are the ways that God has always shepherded His people. So three, and actually four points this morning. You get an extra one for free. Not a three-point sermon, but a four-point one. And the first one is this. Now, some of this may sound new to some of you. For others, uh, you could stand up and preach this sermon yourselves. But I want to speak in such a way as to try to answer, particularly in our culture, some of the immediate pushback that some may have towards the Scriptures. So speaking to multiple people this morning, but with that in mind. The first point is this. Concerning faithful elders, how God oversees His flock. The Scriptures teach us that the ordinary means that God has always done that and continues to do it is through faithful men. Faithful men. We see that in verses 1 and 2 of the passage that we've read. Listen again to those words. Here is a trustworthy saying, meaning you could put full confidence in this. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. So the beginning of the passage says, whoever aspires to be an elder, which could be anyone, if we're interpreting the passage. But as Paul goes on and reveals, he says that the elder, he is to be faithful to his wife. And this, along with the rest of the whole of Scripture, the emphasis is that men are to lead, to protect, to provide And to teach. That has been God's design from creation. In the first creating of Adam. Who failed miserably in that calling. 
as do I and as do the other men in the room. Nevertheless, we do believe that the Scriptures teach that God has called men to this office of ministry. Sometimes ridiculous-seeming men. All of them flawed men. But what God has called, how He has called, who He has called to serve His church. Now I realize um, for, for generations now, we're, we're living in a, a, in a land that has been shaped by feminism that would bristle at the last eight sentences that I've spoken. But I'm speaking humbly in submission to the Scriptures that this, this is what we believe. This is how God, we believe, has always ordinarily led His church. It's the norm within the Christian church. It's not culturally approved. It's culturally canceled. But that is what we believe. And as I already said, and I'll say it again, every one of those men is flawed and imperfect. Yet we trust God as the one true good shepherd to use them, warts and all, to shepherd His people. But they are to be faithful men. Paul begins there and says, if any man aspires. And I do want to make an emphasis. Now, we've, we've just spent 12 weeks in officer training, so the, the men in the room who have been through that training are, are rehearing these things. But there is a difference between aspiration and ambition. And I want you to think about that difference. If any man aspires to serve God's church as an elder... He desires a noble thing. It's a good thing. And so the difference being this. You can aspire to serve the Lord and His church with humility, to be faithful, to be a good servant in Christ Jesus. Or you can have ambition. I want to get in that room. I want to have a vote. I'm going to, I'm going to clean things up around here. We're going to fix things. Right? Or... A resume building mentality. Well, you know, my grandfather was an elder and my father was an elder, so I'm going to be an elder. That is ambition. That's not aspiration. So let's make it very clear in the room. There's a difference between aspiring to office with God's calling versus ambition of, yeah, I'm going to be one of the men in the room with a vote. It's not what we're talking about. That is not what the church, that's not how the church is led. That's not who leads the church. Men are to be inwardly called. They have an inward aspiration given by God to serve the church at great cost to themselves. Cost of time, even cost of money, cost of energy, cost of family, but there's an inward call that drives the man, an aspiration to serve. And it's not just any man. Paul immediately makes it clear that anybody who desires to do this must be the husband of one wife. He is a faithful man. He doesn't have other girls on the side. He is a man of faithfulness, of covenant fidelity. And so the lines are drawn, and they're drawn clearly and firmly. Now, Rob Rayburn says on this, I think this is important to hear, the husband of one wife means that marital and sexual fidelity must be a characteristic of this man's life. It does not 
exclude widowers or bachelors or men properly remarried after the death of a spouse or even men who have been divorced if in the divorce the man was innocent of wrong. But it does mean if he is married as most men were then and are now, the first and most profound human relationship of his life must be one characterized by Christian faithfulness. Does that make sense? I think that's well said. That's our understanding is that the man is a man of fidelity. He is a one-woman man. All of this is under that umbrella of male headship. And this is where the culture wants to cancel. But it is male leadership. Faithful male leadership. Flawed, but faithful. That is what Paul calls the church to. That male headship, by the way, think about this today. It is prescriptive. We are being prescribed here how the church is to be led. It's more than being normative. So some would say, oh, well, Paul's just speaking out of his culture. That's just how things were normally done then. But, but we've moved way beyond that. No, it's, we're not saying this because it's normative. We're saying it because it's prescriptive. This is God's prescription for the health and well-being of the church. That is what we believe as a church. I'm not speaking on my own here. This is what we believe as a denomination and as a church. But let me say for the third time, these men, every elder is a ordinary, flawed man. But he is to be a faithful man. Rob Rayburn also says, blameless does not mean sinless. It means that the man has a reputation that is not subject to criticism from those either inside or outside the church. Meaning they're not an obvious, easy target for criticism. And that he lives a life that is consistent with his profession of faith as a follower of Christ. And in particular, that he's not deficient in the characteristics that Paul enumerates in the passage. That's exactly right. So when we talk about the election of elders in the next few weeks and the election of deacons, we're not looking for perfect men. They will be flawed. They are imperfect, but we are looking for faithful men. And Paul draws the line and says, this is where the standard is. Don't go below it. Now, he adds to that, not only are they faithful men, but they're to be faithful men of conviction. That is belief. These are men who believe particular things. They're doctrinally sound and they've been proven over the test of time. In verse 2, he says that elders are to be able to teach. Now, there's a lot of disagreement even within the PCA as to what this means. Some say this means that they ought to be, they ought to be good on their feet in public and able to teach a large group of people. That's ideal. I don't know that that's necessarily what Paul is saying. Others suggest this, and this is, this is where I stand. Able to teach means they're sound in their doctrine. They're able, they're competent in the doctrines of the church. 
And some of our elders may be better one-on-one offering teaching and instruction in there. Others may be good up front in front of a crowd and able to teach Sunday school. But they're able to teach, meaning they are grounded and rooted in the truths of the church. They're able. They're not incapable, but they're able. They're capable because they're rooted in sound doctrine. He also says in verse 6, and this is important, that they're not a recent convert. And that means they've been proved over the test of time. Because it's the test of time that proves all of us either to be genuine or not genuine. And we know this from our own, own culture. How many times is a celebrity, whether it's a, an athlete or a musician, make some profession of evangelical faith, and all of a sudden the broader evangelical church is ready to put that person front and center, let them write books, give them a microphone, then you give it months or years and it all collapses. I won't name names, but there's countless examples of that in our culture. What Paul says here should prevent that. We don't put people in leadership. We don't put a spotlight on a person when they're a new convert. Because every one of us needs to live through the test of time that will either prove our faith genuine or prove our faith not genuine. Remember the parable of the sowers, the casting of seeds. Some grew up quickly. But it withered because there was no root and the heat of the sun scorched it. And so that is the principle that Paul is speaking here to. But they are to be men of conviction, sound in the faith, and they've passed the test of time. Then thirdly, and here's the real length of the sermon. They are to be faithful men of character. There's something to these men that that makes them different from the world. Their personal holiness, their personal discipline has been marked by God. It's been changed by God. And now he gives us a litany of things. And I'm just going to work through these briefly, one by one. I think it's about 11 different things. He says that faithful elders, the the men that God would call to lead His church, are to be above reproach. That language means there is no glaring and obvious shortcoming in their life that they could easily and quickly be called to account for. They're above reproach. They're living a faithful life. They're walking with and serving the Lord Jesus with integrity. Secondly, and I already said this, they're to be faithful in marriage. If married, they are faithful. They are a one-woman man. It was Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, and Nash who in 1970 wrote the song, If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. No, 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 no. Not the elders of the church. They are faithful men. Everything about our culture sings, hey, just go where the love is, go where the feeling is, go where the desire is. Not the elders of the church. They take God's covenant with them and their covenant with their spouse as priority. They are faithful men. Thirdly, they're temperate. That is, they're not given to the extremes of hot and cold. Not hot tempers, cold indifference. They're what we would call even-keeled emotionally. 
They're steady. They're temperate. There's wisdom in their temperance. Then they're self-controlled. They are men of discipline. They are not given to the appetites of the flesh, but they show restraint. Whether it's food, drink, sexuality, temperament, whatever it is, there's discipline. There's control. Then next it says, they're respectable. They have a reputation that that's a good and faithful man. It's a good man. Not a perfect man, but it's a good and faithful man. He's a respectable man. Then he says, they're hospitable. They practice hospitality. And, and, and the assumption would be it's not begrudgingly. Oh, we've got to have people over. Right? They're hospitable. Like, let's do that. Let's use our resources. Let's use our space for the good of Christ and His church. They're welcoming of others. They are a willing and a generous host. Right? Maybe they uh, eat hot dogs during the week. So they can feed their guests steak. They're hospitable. They're generous. They're not begrudging. Then he says they're not dominated by strong drink. They're not drunkards. Right? Doesn't say they can't drink. They're not dominated by it. They're not drunkards. Then it says they're not violent men, but they're gentle men. An emphasis on their character, the kind of men that they are. Remember, it says of Jesus, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament, a bruised reed he would not break. The elder knows when to speak an apt word. Not an unapt word. Not crushing a bruised reed. But speaking an apt word with wisdom and kindness. Then it says the elder is not to be quarrelsome. The elder's not looking for a fight. The elder's not always got a hot take on an issue and they're looking for somebody to spar with over the whatever the latest hot button issue is. They're not quarrelsome. Then he says that the elder is not a lover of money. It doesn't say they don't make money. It doesn't say they don't save money. It doesn't say they don't have money. They're not a lover of money who's driven by money to the point of selling out the Lord. You can't help but think of Judas Iscariot here, one of Jesus' own twelve, who for 30 pieces of silver revealed his heart and his soul. And Paul says they're not to be lovers of money. There's something different about the elders of the church. And then lastly, he says, the elder... Manages his own family well. His children obey in a respectable manner. Okay? Now think about this. What if I told you that I had perfected parenting and that the key to it was dog shock collars? (laughs) And that I've raised four children and I found if at at a young enough age you put a dog shock collar on them, They will sit when you tell them to sit. They will stand when you tell them to stand. Right? You would say to them, wait a minute. You got obedience out of them, but not in a respectable manner. Right? 
So you know what it is. Some, some of us, some men are, are harsh. We're tough. But Paul says these elders, they're gentle, they're kind, they're loving, they're respectable, and their children obey them. The imagery is not out of harshness, but respectfully they've shepherded their children. Now listen, all of that, you put all that together, there it is right there in a long list. Oh, overwhelming. But remember, elders are not perfect men. They're flawed men who are committed to being faithful, who are committed to repenting, right? A great question to ask, maybe, if you know any of the men. It's a hard question to ask, but here's the good question. Have you ever seen the elder repent or heard the elder repent? Have they ever demonstrated or modeled repentance, change? Can they admit that they're wrong? Have they been gentle, kind, loving? Have they shown the wisdom of the word applied to their lives, to their families, to their disciplines? It's overwhelming to look at the list. But remember, we're flawed men who are earnest about being faithful, who want to serve the Lord. John Wooden is credited with this quote, legendary basketball coach, the late John Wooden. And you've heard this. He said, character is who you are when no one's looking. Now you think about that for a minute. You know what it is for your behavior to change a little bit depending on your company and who you are when you're alone. And I think he rightly says, we find out who we really are when nobody else is looking. That's who we are. And so we want our elders to be men of integrity. Who they are when no one is looking is not so different than who they are when everybody is looking. Does that make sense? It's genuine, sincere faithfulness, faithfulness of conviction, faithfulness of character. And then fourthly and lastly, elders are to be faithful men of competence. They're competent men. They can be trusted to do their work. They will be faithful They are competent men. They're competent in their knowledge of Scripture. And they're competent in applying that Scripture with wisdom to matters of life and to matters of faith. What we want are men who are gifted, who are competent for the office of ministry. Second to that, what we need is for the circumstances of their life to allow them to serve. And those circumstances can change. These are matters of of marriage, matters of health, their own personal physical health, their emotional health, the circumstances of their work, and the season of busyness of the life that they're in. And of course, the seasons of their family. There will be times that, that life circumstances either prevent someone from continuing to serve actively actively in office, or maybe have someone say, I have aspirations to serve, but not now, not yet. My parents are aging. My father is dying. I need to tend to him with my spare time before I can serve the church. These are circumstances. And we take all of that into consideration as you consider the men who are candidates before you. 
Now, a word about the process. All of these men will be examined by your session, that is, your existing elders, to help discern whether or not we believe God is calling these men, whether or not they fit the qualifications of office. So the men, every one of them, elders and prospective deacons, they're asked to do a self-exam to consider their own hearts, their own lives, their own circumstances in life. And if they conclude, if they have that aspiration, that godly aspiration, yes, I desire to serve as an elder, or yes, I desire to serve as a deacon. In our tradition, it doesn't stop there just based on their gut instinct. In our tradition, remember we believe in government by elders, once they say that is their aspiration, each of them will be examined by our elders and by our session. And that is after going through 12 weeks of training, which we just concluded this morning during the Sunday school hour. And so those men will meet with the session and they will be examined. Actually, they will take a written exam and answer questions about their personal life, about their faith, about what they believe, about certain important subjects. Then they'll sit and they'll be examined by elders. And then the elders will determine, do we believe that this person has godly aspiration and that they meet the qualifications of office. So first they have self-exam, then they have exam with the session. Then at that point, the third layer is they come before you. And they will share their testimony and you will feel like you know who you're voting for. It won't just be a name on a piece of paper because they'll have FaceTime with you to share their own testimony and sense of call to office. And at that point, and now we're at February 11 on the calendar, you will be given a ballot and you will be asked to vote. As if you're a member of the church, as a sheep, would you follow these shepherds? If deacons, would, do you trust these men to be given a work of ministry of service in your midst? And you take all three of those layers of self-exam, session exam, congregational election. And at the end of that, our trust and our hope is that we make good and faithful decisions. And that the Lord will use these men, whether elders or deacons, to serve His church faithfully, to guard and protect us from harm, and to lead us in good direction, good and faithful direction. And we take this so seriously as to give a full sermon to it. And I say that because the question is this. What's at stake if we're not careful? Particularly in the election of elders. What's at stake? Is there really much at stake? I would argue everything is at stake. Humanly speaking, everything is at stake. Consider Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 6. The Lord says of His covenant people, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. Old Testament and New, we are warned of unfaithful shepherds who will lead the church astray. They'll lead the flock astray. And so we believe this is, this is a priority and demands our caution, our prayer, 
Because the elders are the men who will lead the future of this church. Our trajectory will be set by our elders. Whether or not we're protected from false teaching, that duty falls to the responsibility of our elders. It is grave. It is serious. And what we want is a church that 20 years from now is a faithful witness in Greenwood, South Carolina. As we said last week, the desire is for a church that is faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, obedient to the Great Commission. So our caution, our use of prayer in preparing for the election of elders and deacons is a priority for us. Now in all this, in conclusion, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. But how does He shepherd us? He says He shepherds us through His servants, through faithful men that He provides His church to lead, to guide, to guard His church into the future. Let's pray that the Lord, who is our shepherd, would provide us the faithful shepherds that we need. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks that You are the ultimate one true shepherd. Our church is not a democracy. It's not a republic. It is a monarchy where Christ is king. And yet, Lord, You say that as king, You delegate to under-shepherds. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful in our duty and task of electing the right faithful men to serve us. So, Lord, in these weeks ahead, would you shepherd us in these decisions, these actions? We know our men are flawed. They are not perfect. But, Lord, we pray for faithful men. We pray for their faithfulness long into the future. And that the fruit of their ministry and of Greenwood Presbyterian Church would be a testimony of your faithfulness to us and through us. We pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, please stand with us as we sing, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is.